Hello and welcome to the Chris Ham Podcast. We got episode number 24. Fresh off a Disney vacation to Orlando, Florida. Um, you know, got, got a nice recharge of the batteries. Four days off of work. Got back Thursday night right before dinner. Um, we have a great show coming up. But I wanted to start with a very entertaining encounter at Trader Joe's. Um, now I usually record this episode either Friday night late or early Saturday morning. So, you know, you can call it tonight, you can call it last night, whatever. Um, it's being released Saturday, so call it last night. But, um, you know, I you know, went to Trader Joe's because coming back from vacation, the fridge and the cabinets were a bit barren um, because we didn't stock up the way we normally would with groceries. So I want to make a quick run before uh, picking up our Friday night takeout. Um, after Eloise went to sleep and I just did a, a fast run and Friday nights at the grocery store are really, you know, as you might expect, pretty empty and good times to go if you want to be in and out. Um, but uh, yeah, I picked up a few random items. One of the items I picked up was vanilla extract and at Trader Joe's, they have two different types of vanilla. They have a vanilla flavor as they call it and then vanilla bourbon extract. So I literally am paying for, for groceries, about to leave and go get our food and one of the last items that the, that the cashier scans, this like you know, college kid basically, was this vanilla extract. I decided to go with the bourbon kind and I got carded. And I thought, at first I thought it was like a joke, but he said, uh, you know, he said, you look 20, I have to card you. And I couldn't tell if he was kidding. So, so making some small talk with him and asking him uh, eventually like, hey, like you guys have to card. Everybody's like, oh, sometimes surprise shoppers that come in, but yeah, you look like you're young. I'm like, how young can I possibly look? I mean, listen, I, I get a lot of grief sometimes I, when we go to other grocery stores in the area. I give a lot of shit when cashiers card me and my wife's like, oh, they have to do it. Why do you have to give them such a hard time? And in general, say that to me. But like, dude, you know, in no world do I look anything close to 21 at all. I mean, 31 maybe. I mean, listen, I don't have a ton of hair recession going on. I don't have any grays yet. I have a youthful face when I don't shave, but I ain't passing for my 20s, let alone 21. So I was really kind of shocked by this. But uh, anyway, coming up, a quick recap of the Disney vacation. Uh, I'm, I'm then going to go into two cognitive distortions and life interactions around those that, that ruffled me in the last week or so. Um, going to hop into my NFL storylines and uh, the ham hot sharp butter knife picks against the spread as usual. And I'm going to end with a rant and a hot take. So buckle up, episode number 24. Let's do it. All right, so the Ham family, the Hamoisi family, as we like to coin ourselves, um, we had an impromptu Disney trip this past week. Uh, we Meaning impromptu from the perspective. It wasn't like we decided on Monday we were going to go to, to Florida, but we had only this had only planned this maybe three weeks prior. So it was pretty, you know, originally it was supposed to be just a baby moon for Jen and I, uh, because her blackout time to travel is coming up as she hits her third trimester, um, in a few weeks before baby number two. And, but, um, you know, originally this is going to be a baby moon. Um, and the reason it wasn't was because my, my dad, uh, actually just tore a bunch of ligaments in his knee, um, you know, a few weeks ago. And uh, unfortunately, he was, you know, do dog sitting my brother's dogs and uh, just ripped up his entire knee. And he's a very physically fit guy for being in his late 60s. 
Um, in general, I don't want to be an ageist about it, but um, you know, he he was he's been uh, he's in he's in recovery now for that for the next few months. Um, and it would really be you know, I, my parents are, are really the best option to to babysit Eloise at this stage. Um, because my in-laws, um, you know, full-time don't have as much flexibility around, around work schedules. Uh, my parents fortunately usually are able to do that, but it would just be way too tough of a position to put my parents in. So we decided, um, it would be a good opportunity to take Eloise to Disney world. And something that we've been wanting to do, we, we were, you know, we, we wanted to wait till she was at least three. Um, and it's just kind of a perfect window before the baby's born in, in March, because once, 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 uh, you know, once she's born, it's going to be tough to go on any kind of family vacation for a while, uh, especially to Disney. But um, really grateful that we went. We were on a little bit of a budget. Um, we used JetBlue points. We used Marriott points from uh, a really kind of shitty death by a thousand paper cuts experience in Vermont at the at one of their properties uh, in Manchester, which I, I think I, I talked about on the podcast uh, earlier this summer. But it ended up being an awesome trip to Disney. A great trip by and large. Three of us got closer and we were largely just in sync and on the same page the entire time. And rather than give a blow by blow, I'm going to stick to kind of high level summary reactions and thoughts and, uh, you know, share a funny story or two here or there. But um, that's um, let me just start with the with the airport and airplanes. All right. So. I didn't realize how many benefits there actually are traveling with kids. Traveling with young kids, it's a stressful thing. I mean, you have to account for somebody who's who's not, uh, you know, physically or um, it doesn't have, have like the, the situational awareness that an older kid would have at an airport. Um, but you know, one of the benefits is, I mean, you get to board pl- the plane early. You usually get to go through like kind of a shortened security line if, if if the TSA officials are feeling nice, which we which they were especially on our way back. And, um, you know, one of the things I realized boarding the plane early, as many times as I've flown in my life, I always feel like I'm in like group C or D, like one of the last people to board the plane. And it doesn't matter if I'm in the back of the plane, the front, the middle, never fucking matters. I'm always in group C. But when you have a kid or a kid in a stroller, um, you get to, to really be the board after the first class or the medallion members, whatever the airline calls the you know the business class and uh, anybody who's disabled or military veteran. So you're pretty much on the plane with time to spare. You get all the 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 the, the space up top for your carry-ons and being able to navigate that without having to stuff it in last minute, which you have to do sometimes the group C or D. And uh, you know I've never actually I was thinking about at the airport. I've never flown first class. You know I've traveled for business a few times. I, you know, I've grown up decently well off, and not once. Have I traveled first class yet? And um, my wife hasn't either. And I feel that I'm the exception, and we're both the exception to a lot of others in our demographic and in our mid to late 30s. And um, so, the, so that's just one thing I wanted to just mention about about flying. And you know, this is a mini rant. I mean, you know, I, I, people who inch up without any kids in Group C or D when the boarding the plane. I mean, fuck off. You know, I was ready to throw elbows with my, you know, having like a, you know, all these carry on bags that we're trying to bring on the plane. Uh, having a three-year-old, having a six-month pregnant wife. I mean, I, people were just inching up. And I was like, listen, like, you got to wait your turn, all right? Like, priority goes to us as far as boarding goes. I mean, but as far as Eloise's first flight, she did awesome. She was a little scared on takeoff 
with some of the really with just like noise sensitivity. Uh, she was skittish around security at, at first, and um, you know, three year olds are that's the age where kids really start to become a, very attached to stuffed animals. And she didn't love her animals having to go through the conveyor belt, but overall, she handled it pretty well. She handled it like a champ. Um, you know, the stroller is really something that needs to be utilized in travel situations more than in life because. There's so much mobility required and three to four-year-olds just constantly want to be held and they aren't able to really just walk up and down like you know the, the thousands of extra steps you might take a day when you're on a trip. Um, and they're also you – know, they're not small anymore so they're harder to, to carry. And speaking of which, you know, one of the things that really just pissed me off early on in the flying experience was – I don't know. I think it was the first security agent was like, hey, what's your, what's your baby's name? And she's like reading the boarding passes. I mean, listen, man. All right, you guys, you know, I'm very touchy on this whole calling toddlers babies thing. I mean, if, if, if Eloise can answer with Jesse the cowgirl, then she ain't a baby anymore. All right. You know how I feel about this. I mean, past two, it's kind of ridiculous. But past three, it's like egregious to call a kid a baby. All right. Babies don't negotiate like hostage, hostage negotiators, lady. All right. Go try convincing Eloise that she needs a nap or why having a Kit Kat for breakfast isn't a good idea. Right? She's a toddler. She's barely even a toddler anymore. But uh, it was a great first flight. You know, uh, it was about two hours and 20 minutes down to Florida, about two hours back in, in the air. And you know, I, one of the questions I always kind of contemplate, I mean, do you count on the, as far as flight time, like just the, the ticket, what, what it says on the ticket or the air time? Meaning like you know, the ticket time is usually from the time that the gate closes as you go on the plane to the time that the gate opens and you get off. For me, I say air time. You know, I've flown scores of times in my life. I've become more of an anxious flyer uh, in the last 10 years after a, a bad flight back in 2009, which I'll share at, at a later time. But, you know, in general, I'm just like worried about the flight time. I mean, like how, how long am I, am I like wheels, wheels up, wheels down? But um, a really short flight down to Florida, good, good kind of training wheels experience for, a, uh, for traveling with a little kid. Uh, love JetBlue. Pleasant staff, TVs on the planes, which is a huge selection of, of, of movies and TV shows and not the, the nickeling and diming bullshit that you get at some other airlines. Uh, they have Wi-Fi on the plane as well. That's free. And, uh, you know, as far as the, the, the airport driving and, and transportation to the airport and back, we had a great experience on, on both ends, on, on all the different ends, especially, um, you know, leaving New York and coming back into New York. I mean, we had a safe driver on time somehow like the driver back we we landed at 4 p.m we, we got on the road like met the driver around a quarter to five we were like home at our house before 5 30 in the middle of rush hour traffic he was just navigating like access roads and service roads and it was just i mean i was very impressed and the uber rides in orlando were solid uh one uber driver didn't speak english and look i'm not one of these people like you know speak the language or go home at all like I have a compassion for anybody who's who's coming from from another place, trying to assimilate and, and learn a language. And and uh, you know, a lot of us don't have a lot of people don't have sensitivity. They're like, oh, you got to speak English. Yeah, try going to another country and living and seeing how quickly you're going to pick up the language. But this guy was an Uber driver. I mean, he didn't speak a lick of English. I mean, he spoke probably like like a few words. And thank God, Jen spoke Spanish because. It was just challenging going through that. I mean, um, and one other nuance of, of getting an Uber in Florida, certain states, I'm not sure what this is about. I have to look into the rules. But some states don't require a license plate on both the front and the back. So a lot of times with an Uber driver, you're looking at the make and model of the car, but also like the first few digits of a license plate. 
And with Florida, they don't need they don't have any front license plates. So that was kind of a pain in the ass. But uh, overall, great transportation experience, I would say. Those are some of the challenges with uh, with the airport and, and the airplanes in general. And some other notes. Listen, my West Coast friends know I cannot resist talking about weather. But it was phenomenal for three out of the four days that we were gone. All right? 80 degrees and sunny, or mostly sunny, those, those three out of those four days. The, the cold day was like 65 degrees. And, I mean, it was... It was uh, much warmer than the rest of the country. A lot of the Northeast got, you know, it was below freezing. It felt like the middle of winter. And the thing is, every time I go to some warm weather place that's, that's, uh, that's has warm weather year round, I question why the fuck am I living in New York? I'm much happier when I'm in warm weather. And I'm always like, you know, upset leaving the warm weather. Like I just, I mean, that's, that's signal. The universe is trying to signal something to me here, you know? It's just a, a different common thread vibe to all these different places. I mean, the energy, the people, the smells, the sounds, the, the topography. It's just really pleasant to be in warm weather, um, especially like you can just tell like these like warm weather places all year round. And uh, now let me talk a little bit about the hotel. I mean, we stayed at a Marriott about 15 minutes from, the, from Disney World, um, and it was a terrific place called the Orlando World Center Marriott. This place I thought was an absolute gem. Uh, Jen liked it as well. Um, they had this glass elevator that was like a, a signature thing that Eloise loved riding up and down. That went all the way up to like a 28th floor. So we literally rode that thing probably two dozen times throughout our stay. Uh, the hotel hut was loaded with good eating options. They had you know, a high-end Japanese steakhouse, a sports bar, an Italian place, a great brunch place as well, and, and a kind of a new American place. And then a takeaway cafe that had literally everything, decent quality and reasonably priced. You know, items that you could pick up kind of like as far as snacks go. It was just like just really good food options. And then the only downside of the hotel was it was just loaded with suits. I mean, it was definitely like a place where there's a lot of business conferences. And what a collection of just basic bitches, men and women, walking cliches, uh, you know, all over the hotel, particularly in the evening, gallivanting around with, with cocktail events and everything else and dressed head to toe in like professional like business casual or, or, or formal business attire, uh, kind of lame, but, um, you know, that, that, that's just kind of a product of the hotel, but overall, I mean, there was definitely some, there are a lot of other, other families that were going to Disney, uh, last but not least, there were some great pools there, uh, an outdoor space, including, um, just a, just, just a whole like kind of outdoor pool area that was awesome, including a 200 foot water slide and two other water slides, a covered one, a non-covered one. I mean, it was just the benefits of a water park with, with a more favorable uh, pool water to urine ratio, I should say. But um, yeah, love the, love the hotel overall. Now let's get to, to Disney itself. So if you're a parent and you're thinking of going, don't even think about it if any of your kids are below three, unless there's a babysitter tagging along, all right? And in general, one of your kids really should be at least five to have a certain combined threshold of appreciation for themes of like the park, the ride waiting endurance, fear tolerance as it relates to rides, and then the height requirements related to rides. I mean, there really has to be, I just think like certain thresholds that are met and a five-year-old kind of checks all those boxes. A three-year-old, you're going to check parts, you're going to check some of those boxes or you're going to be lacking probably in, in all those areas. I mean, Eloise was lacking in all those. I mean, just like me as a little kid with noises, she was afraid. We had to exit the Little Mermaid ride line because the sounds were too intense. It was starting to get dark in, the, in like the kind of 
like tunnel that they simulated for the ride. Um, couldn't even think about Pirates of the Caribbean because that was just too dark and scary and with like a with like a drop. And she wasn't tall enough for Splash Mountain and some of the other roller coasters like Thunder Mountain Railroad and the the uh, Snow White or the Seven Dwarfs Mine Train. Um, so you know, some of my favorite rides we couldn't even we couldn't even go on. Um, Jungle Cruise was a big waste of time. Ninety minutes on the line. Um, Eloise and Jen being pregnant on her feet the whole time. I mean, what what troopers they both were. And Eloise was like flailing all over the place. But you know, as far as tantrums go, I mean, I, you know, it just just showed me how great of a kid she is because it, you juxtapose her with some of these other kids that are even like a year, two years older, they're just having just full out meltdowns between the airport and Disney. I mean. And she's just like looking at them like, what the fuck is wrong with you? And um, it's really, really impressive. And just, 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 so, just, we're just so grateful for her as a kid. But um, yeah, it, it was just, it was just tough, like going and not being able to go on all those rides. And that's why I think if your your kid is one kid is at least over five, is it's a good thing to do. And you really, I mean, both kids should probably be over three. And um, um, you know, the whole fast pass thing was well, so what a racket that thing is. I mean, you have to pay like an extra, I think, seventy dollars per person per day. We didn't do it. You're still waiting on rides, but it's like, like the fast pass was like, um, you know, it was you, you. They were essentially like regulating lines where it was like eight to one people going from fast pass to others and funneling onto ride lines. So it was, it was adding to wait times on rides if you didn't have fast pass. So in general, I mean, I I just was not impressed with the, the the size of the crowd. I mean, there was just there were just tons of people there. I mean, I don't know if I didn't remember it as a kid or if the numbers have grown, but. It was just just too many people. Even this is somebody who works in in New York City, and lived in New York City for a dozen years. Um, but um, you know, we 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 got we got a chance to go on some good rides. The Peter Pan's Flight is a is a great ride, a classic ride. Um, the Dumbo ride, Eloise is really big in, in a big Dumbo phase now, and uh, that was awesome. Um, and then one of the concessions that that I guess Jen Jen and Eloise made for me was the Hall of Presidents, and you know, I'm a big presidential historian, a, a history buff. Um, you know, for, for them, it was good. You got to kind of sit down in a, in a quiet theater for, for, for 30 minutes. And a really interesting presentation. But the thing I just couldn't stomach was just watching fucking 45 up there with this dumb expression. I mean, listen, it's, for those of you who haven't been on the Hall, of, the Hall of Presidents, right, it's not just like a movie. It's literally like a movie coupled with talking mannequins or robots of every single president. And they all get introduced and they all kind of nod. And it, I mean, it looks like it's like true to size and everything. But I had to see Trump up there. I mean, I, I hadn't been in the Hall of Presidents since I think Clinton. So, you know, there's been three presidents since then. And just the amount of just disdain I had for 45 up there where he actually gave like a speech because he's the current president. And you know, I, to be fair to the Hall of Presidents and Disney, they kept things pretty nonpartisan. But... The biggest fear that Jen and I share with each other after we left the Hall of Presidents was that there was going to be some kind of an ovation uh, after he spoke. Because I'll get to the whole crowd thing, but um, uh, that was just one of the biggest fears that we had. But overall, it was, a good, it was it's I highly recommend it um, as as an attraction for Disney World. Now, two other things about three year olds I haven't covered yet on the podcast, um, and this kind of got 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 exacerbated in Disney World is they're very whimsical and they ask a lot of questions, right? So, for example, the whimsical thing, Elbeams is excited to go on this like Mad Hatter teacup ride, and we're online for twenty five minutes. She's watching every single ride, like just jazz to go on because she likes thrill rides. Then we get on this one teacup, and she freaked out, and wanted to get off. And the second we get off, she's freaking out because she's not on the ride again. So we had to kind of 
talk to the, the, the line attendant, get on the fast pass line, and we ended up getting back on without much wait time, and she loved it. But, um, you know, three-year-olds are whimsical. That's what happens. And, um, you know, the other thing is about them asking a lot of questions and being funny. And, and, and this is something I think that's going to be an increasing issue over time is, you know, they just will just say inappropriate things. They don't have necessarily a filter. So we're on, a monor- we're on the monorail on the way to Disney one of the days. And there's this woman next to Jen and I with her partner, spouse, husband, whatever, just coughing up a lung. And she's just like, I don't know what's, you know, she, you could tell she's embarrassed by it, but it was like disgusting. It was like phlegm and everything else. And like, you know, Jen and I are trying to ignore it. And Eloise is like, mama, who's sick? Is it that woman? Is it that woman? What is she doing? Like all this stuff. And like, I couldn't even look Jen in the face. I had to look down and just, we had to kind of like tell Eloise, hey, you know, like somebody's just not feeling well. It's, uh, you know, and it's just really funny that like the types of questions that they'll ask. And, um, you know, it really just challenges your ability day to day to explain shit. I mean, you have to have an elevator pitch required for most things you encounter in life. So overall, I mean, great experience. I mean, there was one meltdown. She wanted to buy like an overpriced Disney cup. We weren't going to buy it. Some really gracious and, and really kind Disney attendant saw this and, just gave it to her and it was just such a nice gesture and you know it, it was one of these things where Jen and I were completely locked up about not wasting money on this like 20 something dollar like like coffee mug and this this Disney I mean I just thought that the overall service of the Disney employees was just on point everybody every attendant every hotel that we walked through everything was just awesome and we and we did go in all the monorail hotels but um, you know, Disney was absolutely packed one day versus another day. The, the food was cheaper than we expected. Uh, the crowd was, was, uh, was, was definitely uh, worse than we expected, especially at a time where like, we were told that it was like, kind of a lower traffic time of the year. So last thing to cover, what a glimpse of America you see when you go to Disney World. You know, my wife and I, at our baseline, again, as humbly as possible as I could say this, we're very fit people, even relative to our area. But relative to the Disney population, we are easily top 1%. And maybe that's all of America. But it, these are people that we're not encountering all the time. You, America is just filled with obese people. Now, Disney in general, I mean, it was very white. Uh, the people you see and people that you encounter are nowhere close to the socioeconomic demographic as it relates to income, education, and, you know, as much as I can tell, politics and worldview. And I'm trying not to be judgmental about it and uh, not make assumptions, but sometimes you can just tell. You know, the, a lot of times dress and attire will signal this. Sometimes it's accents. I mean, there were, you know, one, one thing that Jen pointed out very astutely was that there were tons of American flag shirts and hats everywhere, every place, just more than, you, than, than I certainly see in the, 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 the Northeast and the New York area where I live. And um, listen, I mean, listen, you, you, you could go look at my or listen to my America Loved or Try to Fix It episode um, to get more details on, on, on kind of how I feel about the country sometimes. But yeah, I think the country has a lot of warts, man. So I don't understand like these people that are just sporting this gear. Um, you know, are you watching some of the, the, these impeachment, impeachment hearings? I mean, holy shit, topic for another episode. But uh, one, one uh, political thing that happened, we were online for one of the rides and some guy was with his wife and his kids, and, he, and I don't know what his wife was saying to him, and Jen pointed this out, but uh, he said to her, stop being a Democrat. And, uh, you know, 
we bit our tongue. I think we ended up leaving that ride line because it was too long. But uh, you know, I had a George Costanza jerk store moment where I, I thought about like what I would have said to the guy, I, and I, I was so tempted to you know if, if that that thing actually happened, and I was ready to say and say, oh, stop being a Democrat. Oh, you mean uh, smart, fit, and caring? But uh, didn't say that. I had to let that go. Um, so that was just an interesting thing, just seeing the different types of people that might be different than what we normally expect or, or what we normally see, I guess, in our part of the country um, uh, across the board. And uh, one thing also that, that Jen pointed out or noticed was that there were so many grown adults there that dressing up for Disney. I mean, like dressing like attire for like different characters and pins and hats. I mean, just a bizarre concept if you think about it. I mean... You know, do the people dress up like Elmer Fudd to go to Six Flags? No. I mean, it's just interesting that this happens at Disney. It was like almost like going to like a sporting event on steroids just to go freaking go through Disney park rides. And uh, and these like grown adults sometimes, not even like kids, not even just like families dressed up in like matching T-shirts for like coordination. So great time overall. Um, you know, as I mentioned, um, so coming up next, a couple of psychological cognitive distortions. That, uh, that I encountered over the last week. So one thing that I pride myself on is that I'm multidimensional. And yes, I love football, I love politics, but I like to talk about deep shit often. And I mentioned the notion of cognitive distortions on my podcast before, but cognitive distortions are biased perspectives that we take on ourselves and the world around us. Now, they're, they're irrational thoughts and beliefs that we unknowingly reinforce over time. These patterns and systems of thought are often subtle. It's difficult to recognize them when they are a regular feature of your day-to-day thoughts, which is why they can be so damaging since it's hard to change what you don't recognize as something that needs to change. They come in all different forms. Um, and some you know cognitive distortions in general take on three characteristics. They're tendencies or patterns of thinking or believing, uh, they're false or inaccurate, and they have the potential to cause psychological damage. So last week, a good friend of mine on, a, on, a, on our text thread, who is a Republican, a non-Trump Republican, but a Republican nonetheless, brought up this anecdote about a friend who made it as a minority from trying circumstances, somehow trying to illustrate that the American dream is viable for a large percentage of Americans, which is something that I've debated with him on, on our text thread. And this is a, this is a spirited debate that my majority collegiate text thread got into, the jackals. I've shared this text thread name before. This is the same friend who told me I was crazy, by the way, for the, for the, that the Bears should entertain a trade at the beginning of the season if it was offered for Mahomes in exchange for Trubisky and Mack. But that's neither here nor there. But he goes on and talk about a guy who's a good friend of his who's half Asian and half Cuban he grew up in an area with a low graduation rate and made it. He made it to Harvard. He made it to Goldman Sachs. The guy has a ton of money. But he failed to look at, I think, some important nuances. One, this guy, he came from a less marginalized minority group. And an often glorified ethnic group within a minority group as his, as his mixed race combination. And number two, and maybe more importantly, this guy's an outlier. And then the distortion at play here is the heaven's reward fallacy, all right? And, and what this, this, this cognitive distortion is, is it manifests as a belief that one's struggles, one's suffering, and one's hard work will result in a just reward. And that's just not always the case. You know, this is the myopic view that 
a high achieving circle is going to enable. You know, many people in this country work very hard, but don't have the circumstances or path out of their hamster wheel due to institutional challenges and inability for access or a lack of connections. And the other, you know, another thing that was at play, I mean, it's just the fact that this is an exception. I mean, just because one guy made it home from the bar drinking 12 bourbons, it doesn't negate drinking and driving as a problem. So that was one distortion that came up. Another distortion that came up earlier was a question that was posed by a friend of mine who got into an argument, I guess, with a colleague. And he posed the question, if you could have Eli Manning or Peyton Manning to start their career, who would you pick? All right? And one friend on this thread who happens to be a Giants fan said, well, if you gave me, if you guaranteed me, um, you know, Eli's two Super Bowls, I would take Eli. Excuse me? Are you joking? This was completely ridiculous to me. Another friend who's a Giants fan thought this was ridiculous too. So on the thread, there are, there are two Giants fans and then the other folks, including myself, are non-Giants fans. But I mean, that's just kind of crazy, man. That's just nuts. I paid Manning. 97 games over 500 versus Eli, who's 500 as a quarterback. Better stats across the board in pretty much every statistical category. Touchdowns, interceptions, yards per attempt, yards, you name it. 90 uh, better stats, as I mentioned, seven first-team All-Pros to zero for Eli. Five-time MVP for Peyton, zero for Eli. 14 Pro Bowls for Peyton, four for Eli. I mean, you've got to be kidding me. You know, what happens with Eli when evaluated by a lot of Giants fans is what's called the halo effect. And this is another cognitive distortion. Now, the halo effect, sometimes called the halo error, is a tendency for positive impressions of a person, a company, a brand, a product in one area to positively influence one's opinion or feelings in other areas. And this is clearly the case with Eli Manning. The guy won two Super Bowls, he's Teflon, right? Nothing else matters. None of the regular season mediocrity, the lack of division titles, the lack of other playoff runs outside of the Super Bowl, none of it matters. So halo effect at play as a cognitive distortion and uh, the heavens reward fallacy. So just two very interesting psychological concepts and philosophical concepts I wanted to dive into. So week 11 storylines and picks against the spread up next. Okay. So my five storylines for week 11. Number one, the Ravens and Texans face off in one of the marquee games on Sunday. Is Lamar Jackson in the same class as Deshaun Watson? Lamar Jackson's getting a lot of talk about being MVP, taking a step forward. He's had a great season. And he looks to be, at this point, the best quarterback in his quarterback class of 2018. But... I don't know. I think it's just sometimes like I, I just don't see him as the same class of quarterback as Deshaun Watson. It's a lot of comparisons. They both scramble around. They're both African-American. But to me, uh, I like Deshaun Watson, I think, possibly to, to, to win, even win this weekend against the, the, the favored Ravens. So that's storyline number one. Number two, can New Orleans and Indy bounce back after getting upset by two different one-win teams last week in Atlanta and Miami? So that's what that's the second storyline. Jacoby Brissett, I think, is back. Um, storyline number three: Will the Bengals continue to stay winless? They're they haven't won a game. They're zero and zero uh, and ten. Six more games to try to avoid a, a winless season, which is seemingly like happening uh, more and more lately. Um, started with the Lions in 08, the Browns a few years ago. 
can the Bengals get up, get a, get off the schneid and get a win in Oakland? They're they're massive underdogs. Uh, I said zero and ten. They might actually be zero and nine. But um, the the fourth storyline is New England and Philly showdown, uh, Super Bowl rematch of a couple of years ago. That's one of the uh, the the late games on Sunday. And then finally, the Goff and Trubisky Sunday night battle. Can Trubisky and Goff respectively keep the critics off their back? The loser of this matchup is probably going to get a lot of heat unless it's some kind of a big shootout. So those are the storylines. In general, my picks against the spread are red hot. I was 2-1 last week and have been 10-5 over the last 15 games. The knife is sharp again. Knock on wood. I was on the right side last week, with with but wrong with the points on on the Bucks over the uh, Cardinals. I nailed the Steelers versus the Rams. I also nailed the Seahawks at the undefeated 49ers. So my record now is a much more respectable 14, 14 and two through 30 games for the 2019 season. So without further ado, the Week 11 Ham Hot Sharp Butter Knife picks against the spread. Here we go. All right. Let's go to Miami, where the Miami Dolphins are hosting the Buffalo Bills. Miami is plus seven as a home dog. Give me the Fins plus seven. Distribution, 67% of the tickets on Buffalo, but 52% of the cash on Miami. That's signaling sharp money on the Dolphins. Movement. The the line started at uh, Buffalo minus seven and a half. It's down to minus seven, even minus six and a half in some places. These teams are four games apart in the standings, but much closer than that as far as their ability and reality. In the last three games, these teams are only 0.3 difference in net yards per play. Now, this team is losing for a quarterback, as the Miami Dolphins are, but they have had a lead or won every game since their bye week, including against the Bills Week 7. Now, don't be thrown by the score. It was a 10-point game, but only after a recovered onside's kick at the end, ran back for a touchdown, uh, this was a three-point game right before the two-minute warning. Josh Allen has a sixty under 60% completion percentage, not a high-precision quarterback, not blowing anybody away this year. Buffalo's 3-3 three and three in their last six games after starting at 3-0. and oh. It's a re- revenge spot for the Dolphins at home. Give me the Dolphins plus seven, and don't be shocked that they knock off Buffalo outright. Next, let's go to Philly where the New England Patriots are minus four at the Eagles. Now, I loathe New England as a Jets fan, and I'm sick and tired of them as per, a perennial power. I mean, I've had enough of them, but I have to take them here minus four. Now, let's talk distribution. 84% of the tickets on New England, but only 74% of the cash. That means that there's more squares than sharps on New England, which worries me. Movement, though, was minus three to minus four in favor of New England since the Open. Now, I think Philly's a solid team and can very well win the NFC East, but they are inferior to the New England Patriots, especially without deep threat Deshaun Jackson. Now, New England has a net yards per play of 0.7 better than the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, here's all you need to know as a, as a stat. You want to take one stat away. Since 2000, the Patriots are 14-5 and five off a bye with an average margin of victory of 17 points. Compound that with the fact that they got their asses kicked on national television against the Ravens and the Eagles defeated them in the Super Bowl. They're going to be primed, focused, and ready for some revenge. This is also Carson Wentz's first game against the Bill Belichick defense. In 2015, it was Sam Bradford uh, when they last faced off. So good luck, Carson Wentz. And he obviously didn't play them 
uh, for the Super Bowl that Nick Foles defeated them in. So I hate to say it, but I think New England wins this game going away. So give me New England minus four. Finally, let's go to San Francisco, where the Arizona Cardinals are getting 10 points at the San Francisco 49ers. Listen, the Niners are a great team. I love what they've done this year, and they're off a loss. But this is a division rival in the Cardinals, off a loss as well, and in a revenge spot. So give me the Cardinals plus 10. Let's talk movement. This game moved from minus 13 for the Niners to minus 10. It's been bet down. Distribution is 52% of the tickets on the 49ers, but 72% of cash on Arizona. So that, that signals some sharp action on the Cardinals. Now, 3-6-1 isn't a great record for the Cards, but they've been competitive in all but two of their games played this season. I like what Kyler Murray has done. Cliff Clint Kingsbury looks pretty competent. And, you know, this is a road game, but it's the same time zone. There's no weather issues. It's a familiar opponent. And the Cards faced them less than three weeks ago. So I like the Cards plus 10 at San Francisco. So to recap, I like Miami plus 7 as a home dog against Buffalo. Philly on the road minus 4 at Philly. I'm sorry, uh, New England minus 4 on the road at Philly. And uh, the Arizona Cardinals plus 10 at the 49ers. One rant and one hot take up next. Okay, rant number one. What is up with old men walking around gym locker rooms naked? I'm frankly sick of seeing this. I don't know if this is like a generational thing, if this is just like you get over 65 or 70, you just don't give a fuck anymore. But if I had to look at another just like flabby, flat, naked, senior geriatric ass in a gym locker room anymore, I'm going to puke. I'm so sick of it. Put a towel around you, all right? Like, have some courtesy over the people that are at the gym. I mean, it's really disgusting. I have to see just like all kinds of just nasty things. And I don't understand what it is. I just don't get it. You know, I don't see people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, usually walking around the locker room naked. Like, what do you think this is? This is in your house? doesn't matter what level of gym you're at. I've been at all levels of gyms in my life. Kind of like more... Budget gyms and high-end gyms. It doesn't matter. It's all the same. I'm just sick of seeing it. Please put on a towel, old man. Hot take number one. What is up with people dressing up to go on airplanes? Unless you're traveling for business, just wear the most comfortable clothes. Listen, I didn't do it on this flight, all right? I wore jeans and a t-shirt and a hoodie, all right? I probably would have preferred wearing sweats. Right, but I'm not above wearing sweats on an airplane. And who am I trying to impress? The, 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 the snoring guy next to me? The flight attendant? The pilot? Like, what do I care? You know, you're on a, a metal tube in the sky for anywhere between two hours and six hours or 10 hours or however long your flight's going to be. Just wear something that's comfortable. You're sitting in a seat that's made for a person that's like five foot six. Like, just, just, just. Wear comfortable clothes. Wear a t-shirt because it's generally pretty hot. And wear sweatpants. That's my hot take. Wearing anything else is kind of crazy to me. Right? And if you have to dress up for work, don't wear a jacket on a plane. Roll up your sleeves. Get as comfortable as you can. Thanks for listening to the Chris Ham Podcast. 
Please follow me on Twitter at Chris N. Ham. Your support and feedback is incredibly valuable as I grow this podcast. So please tell me what you like, what you don't like, and feel free to suggest topic ideas. Take it easy, friends. Be well.